into the Word of God. Man, as we're staying, we can go to the Word of the Lord tonight, to the second Chronicles, seventh chapter. And start reading in verse 17. As for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, thou shalt uh, observe my statutes and my judgments. God is talking to Solomon as he is dedicating the temple. Then I will establish thy throne of thy kingdom according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruled in Israel. But if ye turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of thy, my land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name will I cast out of my sight, and will make it to be a proverb and, and a byword among all nations. And this house which is high shall be an astonishment to everyone that passes by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this land and unto this, this house? And it shall be answered, because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore he hath brought out all this evil upon them. Man, tonight we're continuing in our series on the turning of a nation. Tonight is part four. Amen. Turn to a few people, wave at them, give them air high fives, and you may be seated. Amen. The turning of a nation. I know that we've been talking about it and we understand the progression of the turning. When our hearts are turned from God, then our home will be turned from God. And once our private homes have turned, then the turning flows into the public and the hills and the high places in the country begin to profess and proclaim the ungodliness and wickedness that are actually inside the people's hearts. A nation that once knew God and abided in His Word is turned away from Him one heart at a time. And last week we began discussing what God does when a godly nation turns from Him, turns from their very foundation on which they were established, and thankfully we realize that God doesn't release his judgment right away, but he is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. And so God gives warnings and he gives wake-up calls to his people. He will chastise them if he has to in hopes that he will seize their attention and capture their hearts once again. But the more the people ignore the warnings, the louder they end up becoming. Because the last thing that God wants to do is to utterly destroy the nation that he helped establish. But if the people leave God with no choice, then judgment will have to come. Because God is just and people cannot get away with uh, sin and unrighteousness uh, because his justice uh, demands uh, a payment for that. And so the first three parts of the series 
we've been studying the early beginnings of Israel. And we saw that within one generation, within about 20 years from its beginning, Israel began turning away from God to serve false gods. And if you know the history of Israel, you know how the nation wavered in their walk from God, served Him for one generation, and then the next uh, would turn away from Him. And then God would warn them of their turning and chastise them if He had to in some manner. And finally, the people of God would repent in their uh, turn back to God and figure out the error in their ways. And God would raise up a, a judge or a prophet and deliver them out of their uh, captivity or whatever situation they got themselves in. However, we see that the turning was never permanent. It was always short-lived. It only lasted but a moment, but then uh, the next generation or so would come up and rise to power, and they would forget about God. But as the nation became more and more established, they wanted a king like all nations around them. Uh, and that obviously uh, can be argued as the beginning of their downfall when you start looking at the, the people and the nations around you want to be like them. When God has called them out to be separate from them, uh, that's when your attention is in the wrong place. But this blessing led to the turning of uh, uh, King Saul's heart. He was the first king. He allowed uh, the blessing of God to be exalted him as king of Israel. But this blessing ended up turning his heart because Saul became puffed up with pride from the power that was prescribed to him. And we know that the next king was King David, a, a man described after God's own heart and we know that he led the nation back to God and, and, and full worship to God. And his heart was so desperately uh, uh, wanting uh, to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. But the Lord said that Solomon would be the one to build it because David had shed much blood. And so David said, well, if I cannot build it, at least I can get involved and I can gather supplies for it. And so uh, just because you may not be uh, the one uh, asked to do it does not mean you cannot be involved. There's always a place to be involved in the kingdom of God. Whether just gathering supplies or showing up for help, there's always room in the kingdom of God for people to be connected and start uh, giving out their efforts and their time and their energy. And so David said, well, I can't build it, but I can surely gather the supplies. And we know that his son Solomon ended up building this beautiful temple. Now the reign of Solomon, or at least uh, the first half or the most of it, uh, I believe represented the height, the pinnacle of Israel's service to God and their following after God. Because after Solomon, it seems that it it's tended to go downhill. And Solomon actually got the ball rolling going downhill. He was at the peak but he's turned and led Israel uh, down the backside of the glory of God. Nations all across the world heard about the glory of Jerusalem, and many of them came and witnessed it and, and beheld the, the glory and the beauty of Jerusalem. 
And that is exactly what Israel was called to do, to shine so bright in the world that other nations and other people would have no choice but to declare that the God of Israel is the one true God. And, and just like uh, Israel, we too are called to be the light and the salt of this world. And so we should stand out brighter than ever before. And we should cause people to look at us and say, what is it that you believe? Why are you unlike everyone else? And what is it that I need to do, amen, to enter into the kingdom of God? And so that is our responsibility as the people of God. It's to not desire to be like the worlds around us, but to stand apart and to be come out from among them and be separate and be vessels to be used by the holy God. And so that's what Israel was called to do, and that's what they did for the time, that at least that they were following his commandments. But our text takes us to the inauguration and the dedication of the temple of uh, Jehovah in Jerusalem, Second Chronicles 7, verse 1. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. What a, what a sight to behold there. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of, of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Isn't he good and isn't his mercy endureth forever? Aren't you thankful for that, the goodness and mercy of God? That's what they declared that day. And then the, the king and all the people offered sacrifices unto the Lord. And so there weren't any altars to Baal that were up. There wasn't any idol worship in all the land of Jerusalem and Israel uh, because we have come to find out what goes on in public is what is, what is broadcasted from the hills is a reflection of the people's hearts and their homes. And so... Here everyone is offering sacrifices to the Lord and therefore we can surmise that not a single heart is turned from God. The pinnacle, if you will, of Israel's service to the Lord is the dedication of this magnificent building in Jerusalem. And we continue on in verse 11 of our text, thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he uh, prosperously affected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and I have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. And if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence, among my people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, uh, this is uh, on the day of an inauguration of the dedication where God's talking to Solomon 
uh, this great thing that is happening where God and man are talking again. And God says, if for whatever reason my people turn from me and find themselves in a far away distant land, as long as they uh, turn from that and they humble themselves and pray and start turning back to me, then I will get them back. No matter how far they roam, no matter how far away they end up from Jerusalem, as long as they start turning back to me, I will help get them back to where they are called. Verse 15, it goes on. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And he goes on as he, uh, as we read in our opening text, talking about Solomon. As long as you walk before me, uh, as your father David did, um, there will not be a man to sit before the throne and be ruler in Israel. And your, uh, your name will continue to rule. But if you turn away or... Or if Israel turns away, uh, then God says, uh, I will pluck them up from the roots out of my land, which I have given them. And so we, we see the consequences. We kind of see the, the covenant uh, reaffirmed here, reestablished. Uh, this is not new to the Israelites. Everything God says here has already been recorded and written in Mosaic law and so they have been or have should have been following the Lord their whole existence. Uh, and so what is happening here? Why is God reiterating all these things again? At this inauguration of the temple, the nation of Israel is at full attention. All hearts are turned to God and they see the fire and the glory fall from heaven in their heart and they fall to the ground and worship. A public declaration is being made here as they're dedicating this temple. But now God is using this time to also use it as a warning again to his people. To reiterate, hey, things are great right now, but don't forget, if you turn from me and you turn from my ways, I will be left with no choice but to pluck you up out of this land, out of my land that I gave you. And so if we as a nation should ever turn from God, then the curses and evil would be brought upon them as God is reiterating to Solomon and all the people. And as we know that Israel's history was rocky, it wasn't the best, they didn't always do what was right. But here today in our text, everyone is on the same page. At the inauguration and the dedication of the temple, and they are acknowledging God's hand in all of this. And by doing that, by acknowledging the one true God and saying we're, we're here because of you and your, your mercy and your goodness. By doing that, they are also reaffirming the covenant with heaven. That if we turn from God, we will cease to become the nation that which we are right now. That's what God was taking advantage of this, this moment here. But sadly, it wasn't too long after this that a turning takes place. And I wish it could be with somebody, some other king, somebody else besides Solomon, the very one that 
bow down before God and the only one that was there in the glory of God because no one else could enter the temple. As God and, and Solomon conversed and talked and had this exchange of words. Sadly, we see in 1 Kings, where it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. His heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Notice the words there. He didn't go fully after him, which means he was going a little bit. He didn't stray too far from God, but yet he did not pursue him fully. And we understand that God is first and foremost, and if we don't give him our whole heart, then that means he's second somewhere in our life. And so the only way to serve God is to fully serve him, to give him all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our energy, all of our strength, with everything that we have, that we have to serve God in that capacity. Because Solomon served God, but yet he didn't serve him fully. And we see what happens to those who don't serve God fully. Then Solomon, verse 7, built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. What is broadcasted in the hills is a reflection of the heart. And since Solomon didn't abide by the words that were declared on that inauguration day, then he and the nation would suffer the consequences that God reiterated on that very day. That the kingdom, we know the kingdom of Israel would split into two kingdoms after Solomon, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And things were never really the same after Solomon. And we know that Solomon got that ball rolling, turning in the wrong direction. Because they turned from the God of their foundation. And when the king and or elected officials, those that are elected that represent the people, when a nation's leader speaks, their words carry great weight. Because they are speaking for the nation and they also are speaking for the people of the nation. Because if they put him in power, then he is representing the people in their hearts. And so when a leader says that we are going to worship the one true God, that means a lot. But when a leader builds idols on the hills of Jerusalem to worship other gods, that too means a lot. And so, as Americans, we, what are our leaders saying? Or what has been spoken by our leaders? What has been said on behalf of the American people? Uh, the words of our leaders are a reflection of the people's hearts. Uh, obviously, for the majority, uh, the majority of the people, not every leader is going to fully represent every single person. But it, it represents the majority at the time that they are put into that position. Uh, and so we have had tons of leaders, and we've had many of them over uh, our history as a country. 
and we have different levels of leaders, as you know. President, obviously, the most powerful voice of our of our nation. Uh, but our Congress also has a very strong voice because they are representing the people, the House of Representatives and the Senate. Uh, they represent our the voices of the people as well, uh, since we are the ones that put them in those places. Uh, but to save time, let's hear the words of our first president on our inaugural day as a nation and see uh, if he said anything that would apply to us as a nation or maybe even bind our, uh, our nation to something uh, in our nation's infancy and formation. And so this was uh, our, the first official voice of our nation on April 30th, 1789. Um, George Washington is elected as our first president, and the words that he will say bears the weight of eternity and the future of our nation. This is what he says. Uh, this is the second paragraph of his speech. Um, he says, Such being the impressions under which I have, in obedience to the public summons, repaired to the present station, it would be peculiarly improper to admit, omit, in this first official act, my fervent supplications to that almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the councils of nations and whose providential aids can supply every human need that his benediction may consecrate to the liberties and happiness of the people of the United States, a government instituted by themselves for these essential purposes and may enable every instrument and employed in its administration to execute with success the functions allotted to his charge in tendering his homage to the great author of every public and private good. I assure myself that it expresses your sentiments not less than my own nor those of my fellow citizens at large less than either. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. So here the first president is declaring that by the very hand of God are we have we become a nation. It is evident everywhere that we've looked and that we've seen in the formation of this country that uh, God's hand is in this very beginning and founding of the nation of America. And he continues on. He says, since we ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious, I said that wrong, put that in my, put that in my, my book, propitious smiles of heaven. The smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained. So our first president says that heaven 
has ordained rules that we should live by and follow by and live by as a nation. And if the nation does not follow heaven's rules, then we cannot expect for heaven to smile upon that nation. What a connection that has to the nation of Israel. And really it's kind of the same vein, if you will, that if the people of Israel uh, do not turn away from the God of their foundation, then God will smile upon them and, and he will bless them and he will pour out uh, the, the blessings from heaven upon them. But if Israel turns away from their God, then you cannot expect God to smile upon them any longer. And so those very words were, were uttered at the formation of our country. And so that is where we begin in our foundation as a nation in this world. We, we give credit to the Almighty God and we de- publicly declare that we are not, we, without Him we would not be a nation. And so how would those words be received if it is declared today? How the change in response would, would, would describe the change in our hearts as a people. Are those words reflection of our hearts today? Are those re- words reflected in our nation's hills and in our laws? And if God had his hand in the formation of this country, then our future depends on our response to the words that heaven has ordained. Just like Israel was. And as we talked last week, how God kept sending warnings and signs uh, to get his people back on track. Good kings would come to power and they would tear down some idols and, and help turn the hearts of the people back to God. But Israel never fully listened because they never fully turned back to God in their hearts for a prolonged period of time. And so now, because they did not turn back to God, God is bound to his word. And what did he say would happen if the people of Israel would not listen? Second Chronicles seven nineteen. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which you have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck them up by the roots out of my land, which I have given them. And this house, he's speaking to the very house that Solomon's dedicating, the the temple of Almighty God. This house, which I have sanctified for my name, will I cast out of my sight and will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. And so God will send uh, warnings and signs to the people of Israel. He'll chastise them more and more. But the sign that is... That the end is near will be when they are plucked up by the roots out of the land. Because that's what he says he would do. And so as long as uh, things happen and and, uh, conquering kings come in and they tax them and uh, uh, all those things, they're they're, they're going back and forth. God's trying to get them back. But uh, once Israel, at least Israel should understand these words, once Something happens where all of a sudden people are being plucked out of the, out of the, the promised land and, and being carried off to another land. That should wake them up. 
But of course, if they're not, if they don't care about the word of God, and if they're not listening to the word of God, they'll miss the message. Uh, and so, when something happens in Israel that hasn't happened before, it's no time to stand in defiance. Uh, but there had better be a turning taking place. A, a repentance had better happen in their hearts. Otherwise, if nothing changes and they continue on their course, then judgment will ultimately come. And we know, being able to look back at history, we know that a turning did not take place and that Israel was uh, plucked up by the roots and cast out of its very land. Musicians, if you would come. Israel keeps playing with God. Solomon dedicated the temple somewhere around 950 B.C. They, they, they estimate 950 B.C. But about 220 years later, after that inauguration, after that dedication, Israel is attacked by the king of Syria, uh, Syria, and the whole northern kingdom, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh were plucked up out of the land and taken away as captives. 220 years after Solomon in that day, so around the year 740 or so, 730, 740, uh, Something tragic happens. We see First Chronicles 5.26. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of uh, Tilgath-Pilneser, king of Assyria. And he carried them away, even the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and brought them into Hela and Habor and Hera, and to the river Gozan unto this day. And so we see the king of Assyria comes in. 220 years later and attacks them and drags off two and a half tribes, plucks them out, and removes them from the promised land. Now that should be an eye-opening event for Israel because that's never really happened before. Yeah, they've been conquered by other kings and they have been made to pay tributes and taxes and all these things. Uh, but for the most part, they've still stayed in their land. But after 220 years of playing with God and not really taking things serious, God finally sends them a sign where uh, things really start to be shaken up. And now two and a half tribes are carried off. The northern kingdom is carried off and now remains the southern kingdom, the, uh, the other nine and a half tribes. And so what do you think Israel's response to that event would be? What do you think it should have been? It should have been, oh boy, we better wake up. Something's happening. There's a shaking that's going on, a, a, a shaking that's taking place. We've never seen anything like this before in our country. We had better turn our hearts and our minds and our lives to God and forsake all those other ways and our, uh, our, our wicked ways and, and throw all those altars down and, and turn to the one true God. That's what we had better do in response to that event. But sadly, that was not their response. And so we see what their response was, Isaiah 9 and 8. Lord sent a word into Jacob and hath lighted upon Israel. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim, 
and the inhabitant of Samaria that say, in the pride and the stoutness of heart, this is what they say, the bricks are fallen, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Therefore, the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and join his enemies together. Why is the Lord doing that? Because they responded with pride and stoutness of heart. We're just we're going to rebuild and we're going to make things better. Because they responded like that, because there was no repentance, they were even more determined in their ways. So the Syrian, verse 12, the Syrians before, the Philistines behind, they shall devour Israel with an open mouth, for all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. And so this tragic event that happened in Israel, like they've never seen before, it still did not cause them to turn to God. Israel's response was not contrition of their heart. Even though they were pained by what happened to their nation, there wasn't a change in their hearts. They grieved, yeah. They were saddened, yeah. But they continued living the lives that they so have come to enjoy. And so because their response to the tragedy did not include any remorse, any acknowledgement of sin. It didn't include a cry out to God for help. They just said, the bricks have fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones, meaning that we're going to bounce back stronger than ever before. We're, we're going to build things better than they've ever before. Yeah, they, they torn down these, these bricks, but hey, we've got better bricks. We're going to rebuild them back. They said the sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. We'll replace those trees with stronger ones. God was watching and listening to that nation's response that day. And as verse 9 says, their response was out of pride and stoutness of heart. Thus, since no permanent change really took place in the heart of Israel... The rest of the judgment was to come to the whole country. Second Chronicles 7.21 And this house, which is high, shall be astonishment to everyone that passeth by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, Because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore he hath brought all this evil upon them. You stand with me tonight. In the year 586, about 140 years or so after this first tragic event, King Nebuchadnezzar entered Jerusalem and burn down the temple of Almighty God. Because God had said that's what he would do. If the people turn from him, this house that we're dedicating on this inaugural day with Solomon, 
the very house that I've placed to put my name upon, yeah, it's full with gold and glory and everything. But if my people do not follow me and turn from me, I'll, I'll burn this very house down to the ground. And so Nebuchadnezzar did that, fulfilling the word of God. Obviously, we know Israel did not need the temple of God. They weren't using it the way it should have been used, so might as well tear it down. If you're not going to use the building, just tear it down. They were worshiping other gods. And so when a nation turns from its foundation and perverts its God-ordained purpose, then it cannot stand any longer. It's, it's perverting its purpose, and so why should it continue on? 212 years after our first president spoke those words, saying that if we do not obey the eternal rules that heaven hath ordained, then we cannot expect heaven to smile down on us. And so America experienced an attack like none other on September 11th, 2001, where the World Trade Centers were destroyed. And what was our response as to that event. Many of us, those that were alive and of age, can recall the very day and everything that you did. Our response, though, may have been different than our country's official response. And so what was our response to that? We know all the, uh, the flags and the patriotism. We all, know, we all know that. But we also know that that can fade away. On the morning of September 12th, the day after September 11th, the Senate Majority Leader, who's in charge of Congress basically, speaks for the people. Tom Daschle, the man who speaks for Congress, he quoted a verse on September 12th. And we'll get into that a little bit more next week, but I'll give you a, a clue as to which verse he quoted. It starts out like this. The bricks are fallen down, but we will rebuild. Similar response to what Israel did on that day. And so we know that we've got to be in the last days. I don't know if you know it or not, but I surely believe that we are in the last days. But we know that no matter what happens, we see the end of the book. And it, it may not look good for this world, but uh, that doesn't mean our end is going to be like the world's. That our end may not end up being like America's end, whatever end that may come to be. Because we know that in the last days, God is going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Amen. There's going to be a revival in these last days, and we need to make sure our hearts are turning to God, that we turn to Him in these last days as crazy as it gets, and it can get even crazier. We don't need to, to turn to this world, but we need to turn our hearts back to the Word of God, back to the promises and say, no, we're not doing that any longer. We used to do that, but we got to put that away. No, we got to seek the face of God. We've got to humble ourselves and pray and 
and turn from our wicked ways and turn back to God. That's what we need to do as a people, and that's what we need to do as a nation in order to see the greatness and the glory of God happen. I don't know about you, but I want to I wanna do what God wants me to do. I want to go where he wants me to go. As we begin to sing tonight, let's just cry out to him. Let's lift our voice. Let's, let's cry. Let's worship him tonight. God, help us, Lord, to be the people that you've called us to be. Lord, help us not to err in our ways, to be the light, to be the light that this world needs, to be the light that our neighborhood needs us to be. God, we have a calling, we have a purpose, that is to exalt you, Jesus. My life's nothing without you. Take my hand and lead me through. You are my sustaining love. We've got a lot to be thankful for. I
praise. Can we shout with a voice of triumph all that God has done for us? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We're going to lift you up. We're going to exalt you, Jesus. Hallelujah! Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The, the world and the church are headed in two different directions. America and the church are heading in different directions. We've got different destinies. And so we're going to have to turn from the world and say, oh, well, we're going somewhere better. We're going out of here. God's coming back for his church, for his people. And I know, I believe it's soon and very soon. But we got to turn off the world, turn off the, the things that are going on. And we got to turn on to God. Man, because we don't want to miss that. We don't want to miss the second coming. Because we will see what happens to the world. Amen. Man, I want to draw closer to God than ever before. Amen. We've uh, experienced great moves of God, and we're not going back the way things used to be. Man, we're moving forward. Amen. Let's continue seeking after God. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Amen. If the man I can get